This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Biden administration is out with its new highly anticipated guidance on agency reopening. Yes, sirree. It's a dense 20-page doozy. It lifts overall occupancy caps on the number of employees who can work at the office, but agencies have to jump through several hoops first. And beyond that, the guidance describes a much broader vision for the future of federal work, and the Biden administration didn't skimp on the details. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco joins me now to walk us through all of this. And, Nicole, let's start with the big question on everybody's mind agencies preparing to reopen when can people return when can people expect to return to the office it looks like at least another month or so yeah tom i don't think it's happening anytime soon and i say that because while the biden administration has technically uh lifted those occupancy caps which were set at 25 percent of the normal number of people that you'd usually have in the building Agencies still have to do quite a bit in order to start allowing more people to come back into the office. So we reported this a couple of weeks ago, but essentially they have several deadlines to meet. So they have to prepare a draft reentry plan by uh, mid-June, essentially a week from now. And then they have until July 19th to finalize and submit that plan to the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, which seems to be running this whole operation here, although the Office of Personnel Management and General Services Administration are also big leaders in all of this. And then in between, there's a July 9th deadline to finalize a timeline for essentially bringing back a phased amount of employees to the offices. So there's all those deadlines, but then agencies also have to revise their COVID-19 safety protocols and post that publicly They have to make sure they meet uh, union obligations as well, and they have to give employees enough advance notice of when, if they would like them to come back in the office, when that date might be. And it wouldn't be even, you know, ways in on this as well. They suggest, you know, 30 days advance notice for employees might make some sense for most But, you know, that people will have individual situations, you know, some might need to come back later because they have kids in school, you know, others, depending on if they're moving or relocating for work, they might need more time. So there's all kinds of details in here. Yes. And they also want the fans turned up on high for higher ventilation for when people are in there. And I guess fundamentally, there's a vision here of a post-pandemic way where Most people will generally be back in the office, but there is maximum flexibility for telework, and it seems to assume a hybrid workforce in terms of in and out of the office forever, from what I read there. It does. In fact, the Biden administration uses that word hybrid, hybrid work environment, several times in this 20-page document. And, you know, they go into a lot of specifics here. So OMB and OPM, they say, you know, as agencies plan for reentry and post-reentry, there is a clear and immediate imperative to reimagine our policies and practices to reflect new realities and effectively serve the American people. They go on to describe what some of those scenarios might look like. They say, you know, look, for some employees, they've been working on site this entire time and they'll likely continue to. Some employees will likely go back to work at the office on a pretty consistent basis. But for that group of people, they should have more telework options, certainly more than they did before the pandemic. Then they go on to say, you know, some employees will have a real mix. They they will telework some days of the week. They will work in the office for others. Some might work, you know, entirely uh, remotely for most of the time. 
it really envisions kind of an individual scenario, depending on who you are, what your job is, what your agency needs. They go on to say, you know, there's no one size fits all approach. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, and they do make a distinction, too, between teleworking on the assumption that people that live within commuting distance normally of the agency and remote workers who would be maybe in another city or another state as kind of a third type of person. So you've got your in-office and your teleworkers and then the full-time remote, which I guess they've always had to some degree, but maybe that's being more institutionalized. I think so, Tom. You know, I think OPM had to weigh on that remote work question quite a bit because of locality questions, which they address in this document, um, as well as, you know, just some other kind of performance expectations you know, OPM and OMB say agencies might consider piloting remote work policies and then, you know, implementing them full scale after they have time to kind of measure the results. And, you know, they are clear, I think, in the document, this isn't just going to be telework for everyone moving forward. They describe, you know, four broad principles that they want agencies to consider. They definitely want them to measure results and, and track performance while all of this is going on. I'll just mention these four broad principles quickly because I think they're telling about the direction that the administration wants to go. You know, number one, promote a flexible and agile workforce. Two, empower agency decision making. Three, strengthen diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in our workforce. And four, consider our communities. And that last one, they essentially acknowledge that they have to account that for the impact that, you know, widespread telework might have on local communities and economies where, you know, Many of those economies probably relied on federal employees coming into a building and going out for lunch on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, this is definitely a bag of jelly beans with every flavor thrown in there. And we should also ask, what about vaccinations? How do they fit into all this? So just the other day, the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force put out a quick little blurb on vaccinations. And, you know, it's reiterated here in this 20-page document. And that is that vaccinations are not a prerequisite for coming back to work in person. Agencies can't ask employees about their vaccination status, but employees can volunteer that information if they want. And if employees do volunteer that information, agencies can use that information to make decisions about, you know, wearing a mask or having physical social distancing policies in the office. But otherwise, if, you know, you're not volunteering that information, your supervisor can't really ask you. At the same time, the administration is actively encouraging all federal employees and contractors to get vaccinated, and they've reiterated on multiple occasions that, you know, there's paid time off available for you to go do that. And we should also note that they're asking for the planners and the officials that do the agency work here to make sure they understand their near and long-term resource needs for technology for the types of people that might be needed to, I don't know, clean up the office or whatever the case might be, but definitely look at your resource needs. So they've really got a comprehensive document going here. It's incredibly comprehensive. I mean, the General Services Administration goes on to talk about, you know, you might reconsider your space needs. You might consider where your agency is geographically located. I mean, these are all kinds of big picture questions that I'm not sure any one agency has the answers to yet at this point, although we know employees are really anxious for those answers. And I guess the average employee just wonders whether they'll get their commuting benefit back once all this ends. So, uh, yeah, so to summarize then... uh, Uh, at least another month before the plans are submitted. And then it could be another 30 days after that before you get the call. 
hey, come on back in. Yeah. And I'll note one other thing, Tom, that with this occupancy cap now gone, agencies, I think, have a little more discretion to maybe make some individual decisions to say, hey, you know, based on our mission, I think we really need a few more people back in the office while we're still trying to hammer out the specifics of our reentry plan. And OMB says that in this document here as well. All right. Well, uh, we've got it posted at federalnewsnetwork.com along with Nicole's story there. Federal News Network's Nicole Grisco. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a B.S. from the University of South Carolina and an M.P.A. from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And, And the idea that we don't have the human interaction uh, which I think is very important when you think about the I- empathy that is a, a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented a terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness Uh, in America, and certainly within me, uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to be, uh, uh, to to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those, on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. (laughs) Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. 
And and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision, and overcoming barriers. And and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, 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 the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it, it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality... Did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills. And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career. 
not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor at the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Jane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, 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 and so I think that's a lesson for me. If there was some advice and counsel I could give is to continue to do your work, but, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.